Schumer does not have the control of his caucus like he thinks he does. Because they ain't down for this Voting Rights Act. This For the People Act? It's obvious and it's clear that it's not actually for the people. It's for a desired ideology willing to utilize these newfound laws as a way to keep other people from being able to engage in their right to vote. It should be known that if this were to pass, Republicans and Democrats alike could utilize this federal takeover, as they describe it, of election laws to their benefit. The question for us is, is this what we want? The people who believe in power versus people want this. The people who believe in a standard and the rule of law and, and, and we should have a, a normal way of doing things. And we should protect the vote. Well, those people look at this and say, this is a terrible idea. I'm one of those people. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Do you favor the For the People Act? Tell me. Give me your case. I would love to hear it. Here's what Mitch McConnell has to say. Oh, you know you love Mitch McConnell. Cocaine Mitch, he never lets you down. Explanation to Congress is long overdue. Now, on an entirely different matter, later today, the Senate will vote on whether to advance Democrats' transparently partisan plan to tilt every election in America permanently in their favor. By now, the rotten inner workings of this power grab have been thoroughly exposed to the light. We know that it would shatter a decades-old understanding that campaign finance law should have a bipartisan referee and turn the Federal Election Commission into a partisan majority cudgel for Democrats to wield against their political opponents. We know that it would let Washington bureaucrats direct federal dollars into politicians' campaign accounts, government money for yard signs and attack ads. We know that it would let Democrats take a red pen to election laws in each of the 50 states, neutering popular precautions like voter ID while legalizing shady practices like ballot harvesting across the board. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. By the way, Monmouth University has a poll that shows that the American people like voter ID. They love themselves some voter ID. Overall, 80% support voter ID. 91% of Republicans, 87% of Independents, 62% of Democrats, 77% of white voters, 84% of non-white voters, and 81% of those who make under 50,000 a year. And by the way, that's from Sahil Kapoor, national political reporter at NBC News. So, you know, them be the numbers. People don't want it. They don't want this law. They think it ugly. Chuck Schumer, he loves being ugly. My Republican friends are fond of saying they just want to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat in an election. But when you look at what they're actually doing, it's spectacularly obvious that Republicans are making it harder to vote and easier to steal an election. 
The big lie that started with Donald Trump is infecting them, infecting them. Lies don't matter, and they don't matter when it comes to the sacred process of elections, free, open, fair elections where everyone has an opportunity to vote. But of course, we should all be clear, we don't want everyone to have an opportunity to vote. We want everyone who is legally allowed to vote to have an opportunity to vote. If that bit of, of, of description, of clarification, gives you the willies, chances are you haven't thought about the issue good enough. You ain't been thunking well. Oh, but let's listen to more of Chuck Schumer. Let's listen to more of, of what this, this strong leader has to say. Do my colleagues forget? Do you remember what Donald Trump did? Was he interested in a free, open, fair election? Donald Trump tried to pressure local officials to overturn a democratic election in America. It was a stress test on our democracy like, unlike any in recent history. But our institutions held. So now what do Republicans want to do? Change the results. Change the election officials. When you take a look at Pennsylvania and Arizona and Georgia, maybe, maybe, Look, I I still want to see what it is that Arizona's audit is supposed to bring. I'm telling you, I don't know. I've been over it. I've been through it. I've read it. I have no idea what it is they think they're going to provide. But they're more than welcome to say, here's what we found, or here's what we show, or feel free. In the meantime, when you have the state of Georgia that is questioning whether or not they have the uh, custody records... Right? There have been other places I don't know we've got the custody records. Well, let's make sure of that. And then you take a look at, they just cleared out 100,000 people from the voter rolls. Then you take a look at how they did some counting in Fulton County. How did Georgia ever get certified? I have long stated that I would have opposed the certification of Pennsylvania's uh, electors. What happened in Pennsylvania was wrong. From anyone who is honest, it's clearly wrong. The legislature usurping, I'm sorry, the judicial usurping the legislature. For whatever reason, the state certified that vote. If I'm a member of Congress and there is a process afforded to me, what option would I have but to say that's a problem? Because legislatures decide, not the judiciary. If Georgia did not have proof of custody of the ballots at the time they certified the election, how did they certify the election? The answer is they certified because they didn't want to be embarrassed. They didn't want to be Florida in 2000, even though they are. I I was going to say, I guess they are. No, no, they are. They screwed it up. And they have to go take a look at what it is they have done. And maybe this entire process requires, because we have so many people in the nation, that we may have to bring the certification in front of Congress later than January 6th. Let's, let's, let's take an honest look at it. Maybe they need a little more time to count. We don't have a state with 422,000 people. We have states on the low end with 4.2 million people. Maybe they need more time. 
It'd be a worthy conversation at the very least. But with the technology we have, do you really need more time? That would also seem quite peculiar. So I guess gave two sides of an argument and let us go argue it. Discuss it kindly over a cigar and a bourbon. But listen to Chuck Schumer? Listen to Chuck Schumer rail on about Donald Trump? What does Trump have to do with the conversation of the For the People Act? The answer, of course, is nothing. Again, Trump tried to pressure local officials to overturn Democratic elections in a huge stress test on our democracy. Our institutions held. Local officials certified election results. The courts rejected spurious claims of fraud. Vice President Pence, no less, opened the proper envelopes. The House and Senate came together to count the results of the Electoral College in an immediate aftermath of an armed insurrection. Blah, 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 blah. But he's got a problem, does uh, Chuck Schumer, when it comes to this bill. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. (laughs) You're going to need congressional approval and you don't have the votes. He doesn't have it. He's not. He doesn't have the votes. Jonathan Swan at Axios saying he just doesn't have it. Mansion not there. Cinema not there. None of the Republicans are there. Why? Because this bill is bad for you, me, and we, regardless of our party. What the bill says is, of what value is America if Democrats aren't running it? It's a power grab. And when you are engaged in a full-on outright power grab, what does it matter what you say? Just try and get the result. That's the story. What you say is just necessary because the ends always justify the means. Republican legislatures are making it easier to own a gun than to vote. Republican legislatures are making it harder to vote early, harder to vote by mail, harder to vote after work. They're making it a crime to give food or water to voters waiting in long lines. They're trying to make it harder for black churchgoers to vote on Sunday. And they're actually making it easier for unelected judges and partisan election boards to overturn the results of an election. I didn't know that Chuck Schumer was anti-judge. No one's making it tougher for black churchgoers to vote on a Sunday. That was a conversation of, of the Georgia election laws, and they showed that that's not the case. There was a conversation about that in Texas, and I think they went back and made a change regarding how early elections can start on a, on a, on a Sunday. Although, I'm not quite sure why that matters, but okay. Meaning that what elections are taking place on, on a Sunday? You're talking about early voting. There's Saturday, there's Monday. I'm just, I, I, I see this as much more of just throwing something out there to try and be an issue as opposed to really an issue. But remember, that's what they're doing. That, that's, that's the, the desire for power is overwhelming here. Say anything opening the door for some demagogue, a Trumpian-type demagogue, maybe he himself, to try and subvert our elections in the very same way that Trump tried to do it in 2020. (sighs) He doesn't have it. He doesn't have it because it's wildly unpopular, because the left always overplays their hand, because they are interested in pure power. 
And they never once question what happens when they are in the minority. What happens when he's in the minority, when the, when the Democratic Party is in the minority? What happens at that moment? Well, at that moment, all these things will be terrible, and Republicans will be equally as guilty. And then they'll try and get back power, and then they'll try and further solidify power from there. Chuck Schumer does not believe, he does not believe in a nation that has two parties or multiple parties. He believes in a nation that is only him. From beginning to end, that is all and nothing else. We should not be shocked or or surprised by this. If only because you listen to him and you see what this law is about and you realize this is not a law based on the idea that maybe this same opportunity will exist for Republicans. When Republicans even try to utilize some of these laws, it will be, how dare you? And when Republicans know Democrats trying to do things with these laws, it will be, how dare you? I mean, these are just the facts. But he doesn't have the votes. And of, of this, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy. Of this, I am rather pleased, and I only hope this is what holds. I really and truly hope this is something that goes by the wayside. But don't worry, they've got H.R. Uh, 4 waiting in the wings. They've always got a plan for getting their power. But thank goodness you voted Trump out so you don't have any more mean tweets. Am I right? I'm Tony Katz. According to INC.com, people would take on average an 8% salary reduction to work remotely. Are you one of those people? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. 8% pay cut, producer Ari. You work from home. You in or you out? No, are you kidding me? I'll drive to work for the 8%. To each their own, man. Everybody does their own thing, and I can absolutely appreciate that. Sure. Um, I also, and now I work from home, uh, uh, but uh, I, I also don't think I would take an 8% cut for it. Would you take an 8% raise to come back in the studio? Hmm. Ah. No. What? Are you kidding me? That's Absol- such a mild I, I'm, inconvenience. I'm worth more than that. Just pay up. It's such a mild inconvenience. Yeah, well, it's not. No, no. See, that's just it. Understand. All right. How do I? How do I explain this? Please do. I'm dying to know. I. So this started over a year ago. I had gotten back from the conservative political action conference. Thousands of people. One person had COVID. But this is just when COVID started, and we knew nothing. Just when it started breaking, and my program director, David Wood, calls me up and says, "Yeah." I'm, you uh, you might want to stay home. Yeah, break like, home. What? No, stay. Do the show from home this week. Okay. So first, if anybody should ask, it's my program director's fault. Yeah. I throw it on him gladly. It's true. Gladly. So I had already started building a studio. I mean, we redid part of the basement, put in a full bath. Uh, well, we already had the the plumbing, so we ba- it was already there. It was already roughed in, so we just finished it out. Right, which is nothing but nothing. Right, because boom, done. Took care of that. I, I mean, I did it. It was, it was, it was great. 
and then and got this thing together and uh, set it up to do the TV work and everything else. Because remember, at the time, you know, it's funny. Uh, so so uh, some uh, COVID giveth and COVID taketh away. And I'm not talking, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, flip or glib here. People lost their lives. They lost loved ones, et cetera. But I was doing a tremendous amount of work with Fox at the time, going into the election and COVID, and that, that went away. I, mean, I was just on Fox this weekend. I still do stuff with Fox, but certainly not not as much. Things changed, just the way it goes sometimes, right? It's a it's it's a luck of the draw moment kind of thing. You're hot, you're not. Whatever the whatever the case may be, I'll be hot tomorrow on, on Fox. Who knows? Meanwhile, I do the Newsmax and I do stuff with News Nation now and, and 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 others. And I've got some really cool announcements coming. Some really good stuff happening. Um, but they're like, stay home. And so I already put together the stuff to be able to work from home. And what I found is I don't like it. I love it. He does love it. I love it. I, I, I have got the TV. I have got uh, my, my own mixing board. I've got, you know, I've got the sounds. Uh, I've got two computers, three screens. I can, I'm actually going to be getting another screen. I am comfortable I don't have to argue with anybody over the temperature of the studio. Uh, I, it's It's been so good on my soul that I actually feel that I'm doing a, a, a better show. But what about me? What do you mean, what about you? Aren't you concerned how lonely I am? I, n- not when you say it that, like, windowless van creepy. I've expressed to you my loneliness, Tony. Well, stop. That's all I can ask for. Uh, look, I can appreciate that there's not somebody there in studio with you, but I, I can't. I cannot describe to you how much I I, I enjoy this. It's April funny. Se- over the past couple of months, I've been trying some new things with with this show, and we're working on turning some things. I finally got it like three quarters figured out. I'm almost there. You're, you're, you you may have caught some of it. I'll I'll dig into more of it in in, in July. Right? What's going on? What's happening? But no, I I love it. So no, I'm not taking the 8% pay cut, not taking the 8% pay raise. I'm not taking any cut, and I need way more than 8%. I'm Tony Katz. Man, Sheldon Whitehouse is getting the snot kicked out of him. The snot kicked out of him. We told the story yesterday of Sheldon Whitehouse, senator from Rhode Island, how he belongs to this all-white country club. It turns out his wife is the largest shareholder in the country club, or at least that's what's been reported. And he claimed in 2006 he would be leaving, but he actually just moved his shares over to his wife. And now there's a conversation of, well, maybe they do have black members, but he told uh, in an interview, you know, that it's a long history and it's something they're working on. And I hope they do it faster. Meanwhile, he's decrying systemic racism and Trump is a racist and Trump's a bigot. Jim Treacher, who is a great, great writer, uh, putting out uh, the piece. There's a reason he's not named Sheldon Blackhouse. That's terrible. Ah. Oh. He, that, if Sheldon Whitehouse was a Republican, there would be news cameras in his front yard belonging to an all-white beach club. True. How elitist can you be? My gosh. All-white beach club. Honestly, if we don't start calling Sheldon Whitehouse Carter Peter Schmidt, nothing matters. I mean, that's funny.
Good Lord, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Cam Edwards joins us right now from BearingArms.com. He is the editor over there, Cam Edwards, E-D-W-A-R-D-S. And this story that the Ninth Circuit stays the assault weapon ban ruling first we're still in the place, Cam, where no one can define what an assault weapon is. <laughs> Second, if we can get a real understanding of what the Ninth Circuit said here, you would think that after President Trump, they would have turned away a bit from this very left-leaning point of view on weapons, and clearly they haven't. Give us an idea of what's happened here. Yeah, so this is not entirely unexpected. Uh, in fact, when Judge Roger Benitez uh, overturned California's ban on so-called assault weapons, he actually put a 30-day stay in place, uh, and the Ninth Circuit said, "Yeah, we're going to we're going to just keep that stay there while this case gets appealed." Um, you, you know, it's interesting though. That, I mean, you talk about President Trump and the Ninth Circuit. President Trump did make a number of appointments to that Court of Appeals, and we are uh, we are close to parity uh, on the Ninth Circuit now in terms of the number of Republican appointed judges and Democrat appointed judges. I think there's still like two or three more uh, Democrat appointed judges on that uh, Court of Appeals, but it's a lot better than it's been in the past. Uh, which is one reason why gun control advocates are so afraid of this case and another case that the Ninth Circuit is hearing today. Actually, uh, they're going to be hearing oral arguments in a uh, challenge to California's ban on so-called large-capacity magazines. Uh, and, you know, gun control activists are, are really terrified that we're going to get some good decisions out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, and even if we don't, that the Supreme Court uh, is now more willing to hear Second Amendment cases in California's gun control laws may not be long for this world. Now, you, you, you lose me a little bit on this one. How is it possible that California loses their gun control laws when mm -hmm. it, it seems that more and more SCOTUS, even when they have chances, doesn't always take the cases, although they're starting to? What kind of case would the Supreme Court need to take in order to change what happens on a state level? Well, I think they've already agreed to take a case that uh, that could actually result in those changes. So this fall, the court's going to be hearing a challenge to New York's carry laws. Um, in New York State, in order for you to get a concealed carry license, you can't just go down to your local sheriff and say, hey, here's my application here, you know, my proof of training. You have to demonstrate good cause. You have to show that you're special, that you're somehow above the average citizen, because the average citizen in New York State doesn't have the right to carry, right? You have to get permission to do so. Uh, and self-defense isn't seen as a valid reason to obtain a concealed carry license. So the court has accepted this case. Oral argument is going to be held in the fall or probably next June before we uh, get a decision from the court. But this will allow the Supreme Court to not only address that issue specifically, but also to talk about the standard of review that other courts should be using when they're considering Second Amendment cases and the Ninth Circuit and a number of other appellate courts have really abused uh, judicial reasoning. And they've, you know, said that, well, yeah, the most popular rifle in America today. Nah, that's not covered by the Second Amendment. Uh, 150 million magazines that are owned by Americans. Nah, those aren't covered by the Second Amendment. Uh, clearly ignoring the test that the Supreme Court laid out in the Heller decision back in 2008, when the Supreme Court said, look, if a firearm is in common use by lawful Americans for a variety of purposes, it's covered under the Second Amendment. Uh, courts have gone out of their way to ignore what the court said in uh, Heller, and this is the chance for the Supreme Court to set it right.
Talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G is how you spell that. BearingArms.com is the, the website. Now, I wanted to get with you on on, on a, a, a second uh, subject, which is Joe Biden. We're seeing the rise in crime everywhere. You saw the stats that Fox News have put out, and you see the massive numbers in Seattle and in Portland, uh, my beloved Indianapolis. Uh, the numbers are, are smaller in Chicago. That's because it was already violent. And Joe Biden, amongst many other people, want to say, well, you know, it's because of guns. Put that one to rest for me. How do you <laughs> respond to the people who say, well, the answer is it's, it's because of guns? If it was because of guns, then we would be seeing the violent crime rate increase every year because every year millions of firearms are sold. And yet we saw violent crime basically decline for 25 years straight uh, until shootings and homicides spiked last year. And it's also interesting to note, Tony, that, you know, violent crime in a lot of these cities overall has declined. Property crime has certainly gone down. What we are seeing in particular is a rise in shootings and in homicides in these cities. And these aren't legal gun owners. These are, in many cases, people who are already well-known to authorities. They're well-known to the members of the high-crime neighborhoods that uh, they, they prey on. Uh, and what we're seeing here, I think, is, is basically a couple of different factors going on. Uh, we had the pullback by police in a lot of cities last year after the death of George Floyd. And that's when we saw a lot of the homicide rates really start to spike. Um, and I think that police were basically, you know, put on their heels a little bit. They didn't know how aggressive they could be in terms of policing. In a lot of these uh, cities, you had their budgets actually cut. But we also had the closure of a lot of court systems. We had uh, jails and prisons that were uh, emptied, or at least the population was reduced because of concerns over uh, COVID pandemics uh, behind bars. That put a lot of offenders out on the street. Um, but basically, you've got, I think, a soft on crime approach in a lot of these Democrat cities. And criminals are responding. They're not morons. You know, it, it, most of these crimes are crimes of opportunities. If individuals feel like they can get away with this stuff, then they're going to do it. Uh, and in a lot of these cities, they feel pretty emboldened right now. Emboldened is, is an interesting way to look at it because you hear MSNBC and, and one of their uh, guests who served on the uh, uh, President Obama's uh, 21st Century Policing Task Force. She made uh, the commentary that what we're seeing right now with crime going up is actually the fault of the police because we haven't properly defunded the police to fund other things. Listen. So this rising crime is not the fault of the movement. It's actually the fault of the police. And this has been our point all along. Why should we keep funding systems and institutions that keep rendering themselves ineffective? We should be talking about gun control, livable wages, fair housing, education. That's where we should be moving the money to to ensure truly safe streets. I love the fact that she says, why are we funding the police when we should be talking about gun control? Who does she think enforces gun laws in this country? It's not the gun control fairy. It's not Shannon Watts. It's not Kamala Harris. It's police who enforce every single gun control law on the books. And if she's calling for the creation of more new nonviolent possessory crimes out of our right to keep and bear arms, it will be law enforcement will be the ones responsible for arresting people, putting them in jail, and then it'll be the criminal justice system that prosecutes those people and puts them in prison for breaking the law. 
for possessing a magazine that has 17 rounds as opposed to 10, for owning the most commonly sold rifle in America today. It, it, that, that is absolutely an absurd point of view in a position for her to take. I don't think she knows what she's talking about. I put forth to you, she definitely doesn't know what she's talking about. But since when does that stop people from moving down well. this road? I make the argument that the people who talk gun violence don't speak this way about any other subject. And, uh, you know, we saw in New York City, there was a stabbing in broad daylight, and no mm. one ever refers to it as knife violence. So yep. rather, the conversation about gun violence is meant to keep people from getting to core issues about culture. And I have always put forth that the, the culture is not a conversation of black white, but rather a, a conversation of responsibility, irresponsibility, a conversation of conservative liberal. And one of the things that, that you have noted and we take a, a look at is that if we create a society that always runs in fear of the firearm as opposed to learning about the firearm, you'll never have a society that is okay with firearms and therefore wants to do away with the Second Amendment. If everything that we, we see... Uh, you know, and, and put out there into the world uh, says that you don't have to be responsible for your own actions. Well, then the only way the action ever happened is because the firearm existed and not any underlying cause. I want, in, in, in your work over at Bearing Arms, how often do you run across that idea? Oh, quite often. Uh, I mean, I think uh, you know, the example that immediately comes to mind was, uh, you remember the, that uh, uh, officer-involved shooting in Ohio earlier this year where I, uh, I think it was, it was 15 or 16, you know, really like just a millisecond away from plunging a knife into the chest of another teenage girl when an officer opened fire. And we heard a lot of people on the left say, why, why did the officer do that? I mean, come on, these were just kids there. You know, who, who hasn't been involved in a knife fight as a teenager, you know, making excuses for that type of crime. And as you say, quote unquote, gun violence uh, is a completely different animal, right? And the issue that you talk about is violence. The issue is why do we have uh, a culture that is willing to excuse some types of violence and not other types of violence? And you're right. We really do need to be addressing, you know, it's funny, the left talks about the need to address root causes all the time, but it never does, does it uh, get into a conversation about, you know, establishing a culture of, of lawful and responsible gun ownership in these cities that, have made guns taboo for decades. I would actually argue that, you know, if you really want to do something creative, rather than putting more gun control laws on the books, put some public ranges in place in some of these cities and, you know, give people access to firearms education and training so you can develop a culture of responsible gun ownership as opposed to the system that we have in place right now where gun ownership is basically seen as something that only criminals do. Clearly, that's not working. So why don't we try to create more responsible gun owners? Cam Edwards, check him out at Bearing Arms, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. Follow him on Twitter at Cam Edwards, E-D-W-A-R-D-S. Cam, always a pleasure. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So there's a piece out of The Federalist about the state of Indiana. And I said, ha, ain't that something? State agencies in Republican-controlled Indiana are providing taxpayer dollars and marketing assistance to a far-left organization that is bringing two prominent critical race theory activists to a statewide teachers' conference this summer. 
And this is about Indiana Black Expo. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, a pleasure. Now, Indiana Black Expo, when I first moved to Indianapolis, I was told, hey, you don't you don't go downtown during Indiana Black Expo. And I said, what? You don't go downtown during Indiana Black Expo. I said, I have no idea what that means. What am I supposed to do with that information? What am I supposed to do with that information? Now, what had happened is, is that there had been some problems. I believe someone had gotten shot. But in the time that I have been in Indiana, it's been nothing but fantastic. You want to have a a black expo? Spend your money. Spend your money in my town, please. And bring friends and tell them to spend their money in my town. Have a nice day. And that's where I leave it. I have no other issues. But the idea that they're going to be having an education conference and bringing in two people who are uh, lecturing on systemic racism, well, that's something to note. As is reported, one of those uh, speaking uh, has um, a training uh, uh, accusing a whiteness of damaging education. By the way, I, I will admit that if you're somebody who talks about the problem with whiteness, uh, you you don't have me in any way, shape, or form. You you you've 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 lost me purposefully. It's a it's a it's a it's a radically hateful thing uh, to say. And if you're like, well, that's that's just because you're you're fragile and you can't handle the truth. Okay, sure. I'm gonna go about my life now and in no way pay attention to you. But I'm gonna make sure I vote against everything you believe in. Because what you believe in is guaranteed to be bad, <laughs> based on this very concept. We'll just leave it at that. If, if, if the objective is to dismiss me and tell me I'm not allowed an opinion because of the color of my skin, I cannot pay attention to you. You're not good. You're not a good person. You don't come from a good place. So according to, to this, I think the argument is that the state of Indiana funds or provides funding to the group. I don't think that's the case. Uh, It's that um, a state agency, an agency through uh, the state, did pay uh, Black Expo uh, $20,000 this past year. So there could be partnerships that exist. I never mind if people look into the partnerships. I also have zero issue with Indiana Black Expo, but there could be events that any group has that I could say, hey, that's an issue. That is an issue, a serious problem. And I would say it's Indiana Black Expo as clear as day without without hesitation. It is one thing to have conversations. It's another thing to make accusations. And if you're going to go down that road, well, then, I mean, ex- expect people to notice and, and then ask the question, is this what we want? Is this what we want? Do we want any organization that's making a point to decide certain people based on the color of their skin are guilty of something they may have nothing to do with? Expect people of all stripes to say no. Well, that's it. I mean, you, 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 I think Indiana Black Expo would know that they're not without 
you know, they, they, they can be criticized. I can be criticized. We all be criticized. We'll keep an eye on the story. This is Tony Katz today.